Welcome back to another episode of Ghost Spider Groupies, the podcast dedicated to Gwen Stacy of Earth-65, also known as Spider-Gwen and Ghost Spider, where we review her comics, discuss news, and give our opinions about all things Gwen-65. I'm Kurt. And I'm Abigail. So today on the news front, we only have two pieces of news to cover for today. So first, the colors for Heroes Reborn Night Gwen. We kind of mentioned it last week where we didn't know the colorist, but recently it was announced that Eric Arseniega is going to be the colorist for Heroes Reborn Night Gwen. He previously colored Excalibur. He did some Absolute Carnage tie-ins, Jason Aaron's Avengers. He did Amazing Spider-Man during Hunted, and most recently Carnage Black, White, and Blood number three. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, I've I've seen some panels from the Excalibur title. It's solid stuff uh the other thing we wanted to mention is and, and like uh we don't mention every piece of merch that gets dropped for gwen but the adidas shoe brand has announced a lineup of marvel spider-man themed basketball shoes under the uh, don shoes the mitchell ones and they're doing a ghost spider one they're doing it in pink white and black uh and yeah that looks pretty cool um 100 especially for a character who's uh, who, who does actually wear basketball shoes, although very different ones from Adidas. Uh, they seem clo- close to Converse, but but uh, yeah, uh, that, that's pretty cool. So we're giving everybody a heads up about that before they get uh, scalped as those things sort of happen. But yeah, yeah, I was eyeing those up, but I think they have been all sold out local to me. I don't know about you. Yeah, they're on sale in Canada too, but here it costs 140 bucks. But I still kind of want to get my hands on those oh, if crazy. I need new shoes. Yeah, yeah. It seems it seems more than what they're selling them here, but yeah, nice. Yeah, hundred percent. They look really cool. So uh, this week, instead of us doing a full six issue arc of the Spider Gwen title, we're taking it a little bit slow for a couple of weeks, and we're 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 jumping around between a couple of annuals, which were set chronologically during the pre Spider Woman crossover status quo for for the Spider Gwen comics. But were released afterwards, which is why we've pushed the Spider Women comics back a bit, a couple of episodes down the line. Uh, what we did last week is we covered Greater Power, which is the first six issues in the Spider Gwen ongoing. And what we're now doing is we're doing Spider Gwen Annual Number One, which is uh, the only Spider Gwen Annual. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. If you want to know where to buy it and you know, just generally what to read with regards to Spider Gwen's bibliography and reading list, what we're going to do is we're going to put a Link in the description, as we always do with every episode, as well as links to uh, Comixology pages, uh, both with the Spider-Gwen Annual and the trade paperback that this is collected in. Although, uh, just a heads up, the, the trade this is collected in has other issues from another arc we're also going to discuss down the line, but but not today. We're just doing Spider-Gwen Annual number one today. So before we get into this today, if you want to go and give that issue a read, it is only 32 pages. That would be best. But what we also are going to do this week is trial a sort of new... Uh, format new format right yeah uh where we do a synopsis of the story and then we get into it whereas before we were kind of mixing it up a bit we'd go over what was happening and say what we thought of it as we were summarizing each page we we're going to do the synopsis and then we're going to give our thoughts now so if, if that makes sense uh and we're breaking it down by story within this issue because of course this is an annual it's 32 pages and there are one, two, three, four, five different stories in this. Uh, the first one is called Spider-Gwen Week 1. And yeah, let's uh, let's get into it. So 
implied by the title, this story is set during the first week of Gwen getting spider powers. So new, in fact, that Gwen is even unsure of whether her new powers are real at the beginning of this story. The story is set during a charity wrestling event to raise money for orphans headlined by Earth-65's She-Hulk. Peter Parker and Uncle Ben are in attendance. Ben cheers for She-Hulk enthusiastically while Peter is more concerned about blending in, but Ben emphasizes tonight's all about standing out. Gwen prepares for the fight in a back room, but has to hide when a disgruntled janitor arrives and arms himself with a shotgun, presumably with the intention of robbing the box office. Gwen elects not to involve herself, saying, it's none of my business. There's a three-page daydream sequence that reveals that Gwen and She-Hulk are in cahoots and plan to make money from the event, part of a water media franchise that they want to build together called She-Hulk and Spider-Lady. Gwen's spider sense breaks her out of her line of thought as the janitor poses a danger to people just outside. She has a change of heart and decides to go help before the crucial point where she needed to fight She-Hulk. At the same time, Uncle Ben confronts the attacker who only grows more agitated. Reacting quickly, Gwen knocks the shotgun out of the janitor's hands with a well-thrown shoe before things could escalate. Uncle Ben seizes the opportunity and punches the now vulnerable janitor out. The wrestling match ends inside just at the moment the fight outside does, ending Gwen's chances for fortune and profit. Gwen initially expresses frustration at having lost out on her money-making scheme before realizing that Ben had taught her a valuable lesson about selflessness. She hugs the nonplussed Uncle Ben, saying, What would we do without you? before hurrying off. In a final panel of recklessness, Uncle Ben actually beats the gradually recovering but still dazed janitor. So yeah, uh, that's what happens in the first issue here. That's eight pages. And let me just have a look here. I've forgotten to note down who's the artist. Chris Brunner is his lines, along with Rico Renzi's colors. So yeah, it's really cool. Uh, of course, all of the words are by Jason Latour, unfortunately, in this issue. Uh, but yeah, let, let's let's get into it. I thought there was quite a few parallels to Peter's origin in this, particularly. Yeah, Gwen is pursuing the same interests that Peter has. Like, what's the first thing I want to do with these spider powers? Oh, I want to make some money off of wrestling. Yeah, yeah. Because initially, like, when we were showing, like, flashbacks to Gwen using her powers recklessly, it'd usually be with context to the, the her drum playing skills. Like, she'd play, like, the drums upside down on the stage or something like that. But yeah, we see here it's a lot like what Peter did, uh, where it's, where, where well, yeah, it's wrestling, right? And... Yeah, she she mostly avoids his mistake here. Like it it nearly goes wrong, but but Uncle Ben makes it. So good for him. Good for everybody. Glad that he he made it out this one okay. We also get a really good look at the proto Spider Gwen costume as well. I think this is a really interesting thing because it does resemble the uh, the outfit that she wears later on. But of course, this is her first week, so it's sort of a tracksuit and with like black bombs and and it's a white top, white hoodie with a wrestling mask, like a wrestling wrestling mask, as opposed to uh, the regular one, but it still does kind of resemble the spider outfit. And specifically, because this is always a point I'm trying to prove, uh, like Chuck, Chuck Taylor Converse style shoes, like you get a lot of really close up looks at the shoes, just, just by virtue of her having to throw them at people. But yeah, definitely, definitely resembles Chuck Taylor's, right? Yeah. And even this also kind of reminds me of the Raimi Spider-Man, his wrestling costume. Because, uh, again, this is just a prototype costume that she wanted to use just for entertainment purposes. She's not doing anything responsibly. She's just in it to make money. Yeah. 
yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's been thrown together at short notice. Uh, we also get a look at a couple of other characters quite prominently in this story. We get, I think, what is the first of a couple of appearances of She-Hulk 65, who, instead of being introduced here as a lawyer, is apparently, at least Gwen refers to her as the world's most famous wrestler, which is... I'm not even sure if she's still gamma-powered anyway. Yeah, I, I think we'll get into that uh, later down the line, because they do... Yeah, they do sort of, I don't know, how should I say, synopsize She-Hulk's origin. Uh, but that is in a later arc of Spider-Gwen, I think. Um, here, they don't go into that. And, and as far as we know, she's she's just a big green bodybuilder, right? For, for all we know, uh, she could be gamma-powered or, or not. But, but yeah, no, as is later revealed, I guess, she isn't gamma-powered. But yeah, um, also, she's kind of willing to go along with this... Um, kind of this plan that Gwen has to make money off the whole event. So I, I don't know how, how much she's also motivated for selfish reasons uh, in the same way that Gwen is. But ultimately, didn't she throw the match to the Mary Janes just so the orphans can get the money? Is that, that, is, the, is, that, that is the Mary Janes. You know, I, I, hadn't, I hadn't noticed that. Yeah, she throws the match at the end there so that the orphans do get the money, yeah. But, but yeah, it's... Um, yeah, so so in the in the long run, yeah, she's not too broken up about this scheme not working out. But yeah, it's uh, I'd say She-Hulk of Earth sixty five has got a pretty standard She-Hulk design. Um, nothing too out there. But yeah, um, who else is in here? There's Uncle Ben, uh, and we get a different look at Uncle Ben because everything we see of Uncle Ben in the Spider-Man comics usually is post Peter's death, right? So he's he's a grieving. He's a grieving father, as it were, right? Whereas here, this is before Peter's died, and we see him happy, you know, like like fully, fully happy. He's like cheering on She-Hulk, much to to Peter's chagrin, because uh, you know we see him a bit here, and it's you know it's it's nice. I think it's we don't we don't get we don't get that a lot of Uncle Ben really. We don't really get a lot of Uncle Ben full stop in most comics, so it's it's um, interesting to have him here, and we see him reflect upon this moment where. He nearly dies to this um, to this armed janitor, right? Because because obviously he realizes immediately afterwards what would May and Peter have done, and he realizes he probably shouldn't have done that uh, and put his life in harm's way like that. So that that's um, yeah, like he he realizes the consequences of what would have happened there by doing this uh, by tangling with that armed shotgun wielding. I think his name was Mister Sparkle. Mr. Sparkles, yeah, because he was wearing, he was still wearing a cleaning outfit. So is that his supervillain name, Mr. Sparkles? That's wild. Yeah, I think I, Mr. Clean was taken. So must have been. Yeah, I mean, I'd have been mortified if if I got killed by somebody called Mr. Sparkles. Um, I'd I'd never live it down. You said earlier, in the moment of recklessness, Ben just decides to uh, get one last jump on Mr. Sparkle. That was funny. Yeah, yeah, he does. It's almost vindictive. He he probably goes in for the like a wrestling style. Um, I don't know. What, 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 I don't know what you'd call that move, but but he's he's like, thrown. His I'm not too familiar weight. with wrestling terms either. No, no. We, well, we're comic book nerds, unfortunately. Um, so it's 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 a world beyond us. Um, so, <laughs> uh, but yeah, for sure, he, he he goes in for the the final final dive there at the end, as if he were part of the the wrestling match. So yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, Uncle Ben's a very interesting character in this run, and I think his evolution is, is very interesting. And, and, and particularly seeing him and Gwen at such an early point in their character development, especially with Gwen, because cause obviously um, she was going to do something kind of selfish here, and I think it hints at something worse. Like she says that she was going to take all of the money. She's going to try and win that money and keep it for herself. 
which which um you you know the sort of the the, the double page spread where it's revealing all of the the media franchise things they were going to try and do i'd I don't know if that was like explicitly as saying that she was going to take all of the money, but but definitely here in the text, like she confirms it. Um, so yeah, that would have been that have been quite a bad thing of her to do. And and she has a realization here that that Ben put in his life in the way to sort of I don't know stop this this person was a was a selfless thing to do, and that teaches her a lesson really. Um, so yeah, like Gwen's weakness, I wouldn't say in the long run is is her desire to stop the bad guy and her desire to use the power that she has, but more the way in which she goes about using that. Because like, like we see Uncle Ben here too, he's, he goes in for that extra dive and he taking that wrestler out, that wrestler out, the janitor out like that, the one with the shotgun. So yeah, it's, I think it's interesting. We'll likely see that expanded upon. Uh, well, we do see that expanded upon. We see that 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 dynamic. But yeah, that's the first eight pages. Very, very cool. Very interesting. Spider-Gwen week one. And I'd say with that, that's the last of the major flashbacks that we get to see uh, Gwen's story fleshed out before Edge of Spider-Verse number two. Uh, so before her debut, this is probably the last major flashback that we get um, looking at her character and her origin, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So um, on to the next one, uh, which is the forgotten crossed out forgettable foes of spider-gwen koala commander and his drop bears of death uh, so let's get into this one this is a single page character introduction for the villain koala commander with art by emmy lennox and colors by Jordi belair yeah the, the caption here is good it, it goes in australia the law states that anyone who catches a falling koala is bound by law to raise it but what if what happens if that koala is raised by the lawless? We're given a series of panels detailing those same events of an otherwise peaceful koala falling into the clutches of the koala commander and being corrupted. The page closes with Spider Woman fighting the koala commander and like a horde of his drop bears, just just loads of them surrounded by them, uh, and her lamenting that she's having to fight all of them. Um, and and we we see more of this character. This is the first of two appearances of koala commander in the Spider Gwen comics. Um, yeah, this is absolutely wild. He's he's a, he's a really crazy villain. Yeah, and uh, you know he's completely, completely wacky. Yeah, we even get a little quick facts profile thing here, where it says that you know he's not to be taken very seriously. His psychological hold over the pandas is easily broken by hugging them or giving them eucalyptus treats. So, um, make of that what you will. Um, yeah, and and the koalas they look adorable, but kind of terrifying at the same time. They got like these red eyes. Um, and their ears go from looking like fluffy and kind of, I don't know, droopy. But the moment he catches them, they, they perk up and turn all pointy and evil looking. So it's wild. He's, he's got a sort of a, a design of um uh, of like a Australian, I'd say mil- it's like a military style uniform. He's got the wide brimmed hat. He's, he's got like a, a mask that goes over his face, like just a silver mask. But he's got his massive, like big koala ears stuck off the side of it so that, you know, he's the koala commander. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah. And even in... In the vein of the koala commander's design, like when I first saw him years ago, I was thinking he kind of looks like the best way to put it, a minor CW villain, like with all those DC TV shows with the villain of the week, how some of them, they kind of seem pretty silly to the heroes. So the same way 
yeah, Koala Commander kind of looks silly, even though this is just his first introduction. 100%. He's, he's in that vein of sort of camp, uh, low-budget television. Yeah, he, completely completely wild. I think he's really funny. That's our single-page uh, character study for, for Koala Commander that we're given in this comic. Um, and then we move into a new story with Captain America of Earth-65. This is an eight-page story featuring Samantha Wilson, Captain America, with art by Chris Visions and colors by Jim Campbell. The story opens with Cap approaching a torch-lit gothic castle. As she dispatches vampires to get through the entrance, Samantha's internal narration laments that despite her extensive studies into theology, she remained envious of her preacher father's simple worldview in which things made sense for him. Cap enters the castle and confronts the barren blood of this world. It's Prince. As in Prince the Singer, Prince is barren blood of, of this world. He's using a kitar for a weapon, for real. Uh, and his eyes in these panels, they turn like a hypnotic shade of red. And are we going to read the line? Like, 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 let's read it together. <laughs> like, three, two, one. No, no must, must resist. resist. The irresistible. irresistible. Yeah, like, like he's got like the, the standard uh, vampire hypnotic powers, right? Um, and yeah, and then the story cuts away to the present where Spider Gwen is reading the Captain America comic book with Samantha at her side. And after offering to get the next issue to see what happens, and to Gwen's surprise, Cap explains that she already knows how it ends. She was there. And this is despite the Captain America like comic books, quote unquote, of Earth sixty five being created by the Steve Rogers of Earth sixty five, while Samantha was still lost traveling the multiverse, experiencing these events. Visiting the elderly Steve at a retirement facility, Samantha confronts him over whether or not she can even believe in her own free will if he was able to dream up all of her adventures, but he doesn't have those answers. And then, yeah, this this story escalates. The story cuts to the Mexican border, where Modoc, that's M O D, double A K, uh, the mental organism designed as America's king, directs aim goons and I don't know, like indentured, enslaved uh, Hispanic people, uh, on these machines he's building, saying, "If America will not act, then Modoc must." And it cuts to his face. And it's like the Modoc design, but it's Donald Trump. Uh, D- Donald Trump is the Modoc of 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 Earth sixty five, f- for real. Steve's words to Sam captioned the panels: "This nation's anger and greed and fear are still very real, Cap. But thank God you are too, as Captain America deftly dispatches the henchman and knocks out Modoc." So yeah, there's a lot going on here, and. Uh, Readers would, will remember the art uh, from Spider-Gwen number five in the last episode. It's Chris Visions again. It's his line work and uh, his character designs here. And uh, with the with the colors, yeah, we mentioned the colors up top, didn't we? Yeah, colors by Jim Campbell. I think they look really cool. I love the character designs here. Let's get into them. We've got Baron Blood uh, or Prince. It's Prince. It's Prince. It's Prince, right? Like he's in a purple suit, and it's it's like he's got like the unbuttoned thing, and he's got the the, the like the Ankh cross with the frilled shirt. And the whole thing is Prince's outfits, as it turns out, 
really complement the vampire aesthetic, so it, it, it works. Um, and it's left completely ambiguous as to whether or not Samantha did manage to resist barren blood. Um, it, it, it leaves that open-ended. Uh, I, I would like to make the clarification that because this does appear to be you know, what, what it is, it's from the time period when, when Samantha Wilson was still traveling the multiverse, this isn't necessarily the barren blood of Earth-65. Uh, it, it's some other Earth, presumably. And, and yeah, um, I, I think this is interesting because it sort of, it, it, it does kind of continue this thing which comes up every now and again in the Spider-Man comics where the character is very influenced by music and uh, a musical culture and musical, I don't know, address uh, subgenres and their dress senses. But this is this is to the maximum. This is just Prince, right? Yeah. And Prince, like, unfortunately, who is no longer with us, yeah, I, I wonder what he would have reckoned of this. I guess it would have came out when you're still alive, but um, yeah. yeah. No, I'm not sure if he was aware that his likeness was being used as barren blood. Maybe not. Uh, maybe not. Uh, we also get uh, some time with Steve Rogers of Earth-65 um, as well in this issue. He's completely not superpowered here. He's, he's old. He's as old as he would have been if you know if he had never had the uh, the serum he's got sort of um i don't know a very it's very reminiscent of the um of like that you know like uh, uh, the winter soldier scene with uh, peggy and steve where he's you know he's in a retirement facility and and talking about the times that were lost and it's it's a nice i think it's a really nice moment between sam and, and steve here i think it's 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 wholesome really yeah, I got some really strong vibes with the Winter Soldier during that retirement home scene. Yeah, and um, th this appears to be uh, the same retirement facility referenced in the Captain America Earth-65 character profile. Uh, we discussed it in the last episode, but basically, uh, Captain America volunteers at a, a retirement facility, at least according to that uh, character profile. Uh, and apparently this is the one. But Samantha's uh, surprise at seeing Steve here might indicate that she, yeah, I, I, I don't know what's going on there. She wasn't fully up to date on everybody that was there, I guess. Um, but it's interesting because Steve gives this sort of whole speech that continues on as it cuts to the scenes with Modoc at the at the Mexican border, and I, you know, like yeah, that, that's a whole thing with Modoc and and Donald Trump, right? It's, yeah. Well, both of them got big heads in a way. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's interesting uh, for sure. Yeah, they, 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 but they do, they do incorporate, uh, and it's not just his like face, because uh, clearly Visions here is he's clearly going after uh, his his physical likeness. Uh, but even the dialogue here, he nearly tries to eke out a must make America, but then he gets cut off, uh, and then he has a whole line about crushing you in my powerful hands. He says to Samantha Wilson, which, which of course, his hands aren't very big because he's he's Modoc, uh, and he's donald trump but yeah uh, one of the things i thought was quite interesting it's not immediately obvious whether or not he's building like a border wall with fancy technology or if he's building some kind of super weapon and whether or not that distinction would need to be made i guess but yeah one of the things i do want to mention here this this particular story it got a lot of backlash from sort of dude bros online the sort of the whole comics gate crowd where they're always going on about like SJWs and comics, and yeah, like this is this is extremely on the nose. It's it's super on the nose, um, and I think that's yeah. Uh, I I I wouldn't, yeah. I I don't know. I, I don't know if this is the right way, but but definitely this makes fun of Donald Trump in a way that 
I, I guess doesn't elevate him. Perhaps like looking at like this is the same era where he's the Republican candidate for uh, in, in the presidential election. So obviously he wasn't taken super seriously just yet. Uh, same time period where he's getting an appearance on SNL, I suppose. And I think that did more to elevate his presence than anything. So it's definitely a way of doing this sort of thing wrong where you give oxygen to these people's ideas but i'm not sure if it it really has the same effect as it does in this comic book it, it, it's certainly not a flattering depiction of him in any way um and it doesn't doesn't give voice to him in any meaningful sense that i think a lot of the reporting back then did by doing it in a purely comedic sense if that makes sense yeah but yeah and i think it's um it's interesting because because Captain America, I think on Earth sixty five, it's a bit more of a dystopian role. Um, she's not as um, anti-establishment, I think, perhaps as some other Captain Americas often end up being, um, by virtue of of being, I don't know, the the righteous symbol of of American ideals that often does come up against like corrupt government forces. On Earth sixty five, she still very much works with Shield to the best of our knowledge. So be interesting if they could explore perhaps the tension between that i think one of the interesting things with with samantha wilson captain america is she does seem very unsure of her identity especially with this stuff about because because clearly she questions the faith that she was raised with uh, like that opening caption and trying to make sense of the world when the world is extremely confusing um and and that i think that sort of is a sort of theme, like a small theme that gets brought up when, when Cap ends up on page. And I think that's quite interesting, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so breaking into the next story, we have Who Watches the Watcher, which is a six-page story about the Watcher of Earth-65 with art by Olivia Margraff and John Roach. It opens on the Watcher, grandly introducing the Mary Janes and their interesting lives only to be disappointed to find them just watching television. In small ways, the Watcher tries to encourage the Mary Janes to do something interesting and create drama. He manages to get Murderface the Cat to carry an open mic battle of the bands posted to Mary Jane and Glory, who decide it would be a good idea to participate, but Betty laments that they need Gwen to be the drummer for them. At this very moment, Gwen is fighting the koala commander elsewhere. Frustrated at the sheer ridiculousness of the koala-themed villain and further compromising his vow of non-interference, the watchtower bends space and time to speed everything up and bring Gwen back to the apartment with the Mary Janes. But this backfires, however, as Gwen immediately suggests that they go to the Dollar Dog and the Mary Janes forget any plans to rehearse for the Battle of the Bands. The Watcher breaks any pretense completely now and reveals himself I'm just going to do my best Watcher impression right now. Mary Janes of Earth-65, I, the Watcher, come to you to beg of you not to waste your lives. Harness your true potential. (laughs) (laughs) And the Mary Janes don't take kindly to this, though, saying, did this guy really just say he's been watching us? Betty Brunt reveals that she has mace, watch this creep, and sprays the Watcher directly in the face. While he melodramatically weeps, the Mary Janes go off together, as they should. And yeah, that's that's our six that's our six page Mary Jane story in this uh, annual. I I kind I kind of like it. I think it's fun, especially with the Watcher, because he gives some sort of bored vibe, like he's not really interested in his job. 
Yeah, 100%. And this is the thing, like, the Watcher of Earth 65, this is, he he's a recurring character, right? Like, he, this guy pops up all of the time. And like you say, he's super impatient. He's he's not good at his job. He's he's always messing about. And he kind of thrives off that dysfunction and drama. Like, I think he's like the embodiment of the worst impulses of of the of the reader uh i i, I don't know if, in one in wanting this sort of like tension between people when there doesn't always necessarily need to be tension i also think they correctly call out like the fact that these guys are omnipresent and do watch everything when you know it's not it's not good it's kind of creepy um, yeah because their their whole vow is to not to interfere with human events they they just literally sit there and watch yeah yeah I, 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 and yeah and even that yeah it's mm, i don't know the watches aren't good people i i think i think i think the comics acknowledge that and yeah 100 percent. he's uh he, he's very dramatic like it closes out saying uh some people can't just can't live without drama and i think that is true of the watcher of earth 65 but yeah like a lot of character work for him here uh you know he's He's yeah, he'll he'll show up again, I'm sure. And uh and we also get a bit of time with the Mary Janes. I think this might actually be the first scene where MJ and Glory just kinda get along normally and properly without any notable tension like between Without the two. Glory threatening to quit the band time and yeah. time again. Yeah, without Glory threatening to quit the band or MJ insisting that they do something even when nobody wants to do it. Like without any of that, it just kinda goes well. Yeah, uh, and also we we get a bit of time with uh, Betty Brandt because because it is Betty who is the one who calls the watcher on his rubbish, and it is Betty who is the one who has the pepper spray. So good for her. Yeah, I, I I've always seen Betty's kind of more of the wild card. They they put a lot of like I don't know the miscellaneous characterizations that get taken by MJ or Glory or Gwen kind of end up getting put onto Betty, and she just comes out with this sort of standing up for the band like that. It's um it's cool. It's cool. Yeah, I like how she's the loose cannon of the band because you don't know what she's gonna do. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah, she's um hundred percent. That's her role. Yeah, loose cannon. So there's one less story. Uh, one less story. One last story uh, left in this annual, and that's eight days a week. It's a reference to the a reference to a Beatles song. That's right for a band, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah. Well, what it's sort of done is like one page is a new day and a new story, and they kind of loosely tie into each other. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll go through them one at a time. We've got Monday, and this is a page with art by Anna Paolo Martello and colors by Vero Gandini. And it covers two kids where they're trying to help an unconscious Spider-Woman to come to following a particularly destructive battle with Stiltman of Earth-65. One of the kids exclaims that the fight was awesome flat out bananas but gwen quips that it's only monday before swinging off to presumably face down stiltman again we move on to tuesday where it's a page with art by james heron and colors by Jordi belair gwen faces down a squad of ninjas during a 15 degrees fahrenheit blizzard in may while the mary james have a tiki themed party in the warm indoors and then Wednesday, which is a page with art by Jason Latour, we have Spider-Woman and Spider-Ham fighting an assortment of the uh, latter's rogues gallery. So we get uh, a bunch of his villains. And Gwen's complaining that Spider-Ham is wearing a Spider-Gwyn 
as in penguin hoodie. We move on to Thursday, a page of art by Michael Walsh and colors by Veronica Gandini. A woman is confronted and harassed by two men, but she stands her ground. You think you're a spider woman or something? You want to find out? And then they, 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 they kind of walk off after that, don't they? They decide not to push any further and, and cuts to Gwen smiling proudly from a nearby rooftop. We move on to Friday, a page with pencils and colors by Javier Rodriguez and inks by Alvaro Lopez. Gwen is hanging out with her fellow spider women, Jessica Drew and Silk, a.k.a. Cindy Moon. The weather's changed and it's now much hotter. Unfortunately for Gwen, who dressed in extra layers thinking it would still be cold. Dissatisfied with the egg salad sandwiches they brought for lunch, Jessica and Cindy opt to go get biscuits instead of leaving the egg salad sandwiches for Gwen to eat. We cut Saturday, a page with art by Jason Latour again, uh, where Gwen finds that George Stacy has packed her egg salad sandwiches again, which leaves her stomach gurgling all day. And each panel shows a successive active event from that day where she's having to stop the bodega bandit. She's running from the cops and she's chasing down Orc Grind. If I'm correct, the counterpart to Venom from Spider-Ham's Earth. Each time this very physical act, which is making her stomach gurgle. Um, and Gwen arrives home only for her father to offer her another egg sandwich, causing her to throw up. <laughs> and lastly, we cut to Sunday, where it's a page of art by Veronica Fish and colors by Jordi Belair. Gwen decides to lie in, but Betty explains that she slept through Sunday and now there's a Dr. Shark the Puss downtown, so they can't go out. Gwen sighs as she swings off to go fight him. Yeah, and that's eight days a week. And it is actually eight, de- eight, eight days in the end, isn't it? Like, Because uh, it, it's Sunday bleeding into Monday. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so there's, uh, there's a lot going on here. It's very, um, I think it's like the last one. It's very slice of life for Gwen. This is just sort of her, her, her daily shenanigans. Uh, we get the only appearance of Stiltman 65. We never see him again. We get, we get those ninjas. Are they hand ninjas from, from Daredevil? Because they're probably hand ninjas because you know, they're the only ninjas I can think of that come to mind in Earth 65. Yeah, yeah. It's not even the first time. Well, I say it's not even the first time. Yeah, fighting, fighting ninjas on rooftops where there's a lot of snow is... Uh, yeah, uh, Gwen does that a fair bit, uh, I think. And yeah, we get Spider Gwen. From what I understand, Spider Gwen is a is a supporting character in the Spider Ham books, right? Yeah, her real name is Penguin Stacy. Oh my goodness, that is uh, that's that's that pun's so terrible. I could have written it. Um, and she yeah. drums too. Oh, that's excellent. How does she drum? She's only got flipper arms. Probably when she clasps the flippers. Like, I think it's possible. Oh, goodness. Yeah, and also we get a hint of the Spider-Women team. We get Jessica and Cindy and Gwen, and we'll get to see more of those in the crossover. Uh, really, really fun team up, those three. And due to the number of egg salad sandwiches that Gwen has to eat or forced to take, we never see her eat another egg salad sandwich ever again. Because after throwing up, in the last panel of Saturday, you can pretty much make it clear that she vows not to eat that food ever again. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Uh, who else do we get? We get a pork grind uh, in that same story. 
Now, he's not venomized Spider-Ham. I remember reading this and thinking, oh my goodness, Spider-Ham's been venomized, but I looked it up and apparently it's it's a different pig. Who's... Yeah, a different spider pig who's taken over by his dimension's venom symbiote. Right, right, yeah. So, um, yeah, there's there's that. Uh, presumably that works itself out. And at the end there, we, we never actually do see Dr. Sharktopus. Because Dr. Sharktopus, is that is that a Spider-Ham villain? Because I'm looking at the, the Spider-Ham villains, and there's already an octopus one. That's the cat. Now, I feel like that Dr. Sharktopus just must be some sort of lab experiment gone wrong. I I mean yeah yeah or um yeah no um I, I I presumably yeah it must be an Earth sixty five villain in that case then but we we never get to see him again and uh, yeah we get we all kinds of uh, interesting like art and lines from these different artists as well as Michael Walsh he's doing the silver coin at the moment which is a really cool horror comic and he's the one who does the sort of uh, scary confrontation on the street. Uh, Jason Latour, who is the writer of the Spider Gwen comics and also not a very good person in real life, uh, probably allegedly, also is an artist and does two of the days in this. You also get I like I like I like the starting one, Anna Paul Anna Paula, Anna Paula's lines. I like those; they look cool. Uh, with the fight with Stiltman. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's uh it's it's a really neat uh ending story. But yeah. Um... What my thoughts on the slice of life uh, segments were, I thought that was pretty, um, should I say, it's a nice breather because it's something that most uh, Spider-Man media don't really get into too often. Like, what's the civilian life for these superheroes are like? And I like, I, I appreciate how uh, they wrote these slice of life stories to see, oh, what's going on when they're not superheroing. Yeah, yeah, and and even more like like minor superhero stuff as well, like just superheroes in the downtime chatting with each other. You don't you don't even get a huge amount of that. But yeah, I think I think one of the stronger aspects of of the sort of Spidey franchise is that you do have more relatable down to earth characters, and definitely for Gwen, who is super cool, super relatable, we get a lot of. I I think exploring that uh, is very rewarding. I think in this in this issue, it really works. I yeah, and and and. Like like we've said at the outset, like we said in the last issue, this is all uh, in a, in a very specific status quo. Things kind of shift a little bit from now on. So yeah, it's it's interesting to see that explored and and given you know like just a sense of I guess time passing because you don't always get that. I think with some comics, if it bounces from one major event to another to to another to another, you don't get the sense of time passing in the same sense as when you you have little things like this, like you know just dealing with minor stuff. And getting lunch with friends, you know, that's that stuff gives I think the universe um, a bit of, you know, you get you get a sense of everybody's living their life, and there's you know there's meaning and stuff after the action. But yeah, I, I like that. I like that annual. It's a good annual. Yeah. Uh, so we actually got a couple of comments on the Reddit thread that we set up for this episode, which is pretty cool. Um, so I'm gonna read those out, and we'll we'll uh, we'll react to any any thoughts or stuff they've got in them we've got uh from alpha biscuit on on like i said the reddit thread he said a pretty jam-packed annual duh. issue with funny and cool stories fave parts are the badass uncle ben and egg sandwich which yeah uh thanks for commenting and also like yeah that's absolutely uncle ben like I said earlier, one of my favorite parts of Earth 65 very cool seeing him being i don't i don't know like a physically 
like he's got a physical presence in the comic in a way that we don't see a lot from Uncle Ben. Because he looks pretty built compared to his 616 counterpart. Yeah, yeah. And even the stuff where he's just doing stuff like you see him doing like DIY stuff and other issues. So yeah, we get we got a very we got a very cool Uncle Ben. And, and yeah, the egg sandwich stuff. I, I like that as a recurring gag. Uh yeah, very funny. Yeah. Um especially since, you know, no one likes a hot egg salad sandwich since yeah, that reeks. Like, what's your opinion on egg salad sandwiches, Kurt? Because I would take them or leave them. I, I think we call it egg mayo here in the UK. Um, but but uh, I'm gonna confess something. I really really like them. I like really like. I think they're very cool. Like, I one of my favorite sandwiches, hundred percent. And I'm I'm surprised this is controversial a thing in here. But I could imagine having a lot of it. It's kind of a heavy filling and like you said if it's warm it's no good so i i understand where people are coming from with that yeah like Uh, the minute the sandwich goes warm i'm not eating it yeah there's uh i i would imagine it's uh yeah once once the temperature gets to a certain point it's a it's a bacteria fest so yeah definitely yeah got got to got to keep it cool well you said about a lot of things i suppose uh we also got another quite a quite a lengthy comment thank you very much from user connolly 504 on the same same thread on Reddit, he says the following: uh, "The first week story seems like such a silly thing, but it's interesting to see that Gwen not only did try the fighting gig as Peter did, but she fully confesses to intend to keep the win prize for herself, only changing her mind because Ben didn't stand by to let the robber go. Ben living actually became her Ben moment. It was a nice thing to see Samantha hang out with Gwen for coffee and to read her comics and teasing with the resist. Look at him! You don't resist that." There was so much potential in them having a friendly re- relationship, not quite mentorship, but Sam definitely has the chops and the gain trust to advise Gwen, advise, advise Gwen in ways Peter or Jess tried and only got halfway. Particularly given her constant traveling and fighting through the multiverse during decades and how she keeps putting her ass on the line to help Gwen after the first meeting. It's a shame Maguire didn't use her more. The week in the life of Gwen's story was also good, showing the kind of crap she had to go against. Tuesdays in May are ninja blizzard days, make no mistake. Worse even considering that it's implied there aren't that many superheroes around, Luke Cage is the only other one in New York, if I recall correctly, because everyone else is into the military or spy business. Thanks. Appreciate the uh, reply on on the thread there, on our Spider Gwen, if anybody wants to know that. Um... If, if Reddit is your preferred way to send in comments and discuss this. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I think there's a lot to get into with that. Uh, just at the start there at the top, yeah, Ben Living did become like a Ben moment for her. And yeah, I, the, the win prize thing, it did seem like she was she was going to keep that. Uh, and yeah, like it's a big lesson made there, I think. I like that they put that in there. What do you think? I also have to agree with Connolly's point about how it's a shame that Maguire didn't use samantha wilson captain america more because there's so much potential for her to mentor gwen some more yeah yeah and you know even just as friends yeah that that work i think more so than most characters we see that samantha wilson has a very optimistic and idealistic view of what of what gwen could be at more you know even more so than i think captain stacy does right like she believes in spider-woman and and yeah 100 percent i'm I'd love to see more of Captain America, Samantha Wilson. I was just saying to Abigail before before the show started that you know I I think you, you what what they could do is like an anthology series. You know, give a give a five issues right and give uh, each issue to a different 
creative team and it's just a different world that uh, Sam goes to and, and has one of these fights with Baron Blood or, or, or whatever. Uh, and it's, you know, yeah. And then just sort of flesh that character out because she's very interesting and she's got a lot of, a lot of interesting stories under her belt. And the thought just occurred to me, like it literally came to me right now. Sam would have been useful for when Gwen was getting out of prison or dealing with the consoling of the other spiders during the Spider-Geddon arc. Yeah, yeah, I think I think in Maguire's run, Peter Parker kind of takes it. They're all Peter 616. Uh, he he kind of ends up occupying that sort of mentor slash older friend role. Uh, and, and that did sort of come at the expense of, of maybe other mainstays within with, within Gwen's cast that we get in the Spider-Gwen run, such as Samantha Wilson, such as, um, I don't know, even Jessica Drew. But yeah, uh, is, it mentioned, is, is Luke Cage in the Spider-Gwen comics? Luke Cage is the only one in New York, apparently, according to... We probably might have to uh, do the reading that we haven't got to yet. Because I'm, I'm trying to remember that. My brain is blanking, but yeah. Uh, yeah, but but you're right. Absolutely. There's really not many uh, superheroes around in, in, in Earth-65. Just full stop. Because, like you say, everybody's in the military or spy business or the cops or... Yeah, uh, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, uh, overall, let's... Um, that, thanks, thanks to those two commenters there uh and yeah let's, let's sort of close out with uh our final opinions i guess on on this run or did you say yours yeah, earlier like this was a, a really good annual for this run because you know the only annual that we get after this is the one from vita ayala which is also another really great one that they wrote and yeah this was boatloads of fun yeah 100 percent. this is like all of the wacky, maybe maybe a bit too out there stuff that might might not really be able to make it into the main comic, I think ended up in this annual. And yeah, it's really fun. Uh, and definitely like, th- there's a lot of uh, very good characterizations for, for Gwen and Captain America and Uncle Ben, all of Earth-65. I think lots of really interesting uh, stuff going on here that, that, that I think you know, in the long run, is, is proven to be quite uh, valuable to looking at those characters, contextualizing them a bit more. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been good. I've I've really enjoyed this uh, episode. It's been it's been fun. Same here. So next week's episode, we'll be discussing all new Wolverine Annual Number One, which has Laura Kinney, Honey Badger slash Gabby Kinney, Jonathan the actual Wolverine, and Red Hornet all in one big crossover issue with Spider Gwen. It is collected in the long distance trade, the same as this annual, which has some other issues that we won't yet be discussing right now. It's a 32-page issue written by Tom Taylor with art by Marcio Takara and colors by Matt Lopez. This is a really fun book. It's got all sorts of wackiness that you'd expect from Gwen, and it's sort of like a Freaky Friday situation for the people who are already familiar with it. And like Spider-Gwen Annual Number 1, All-New Wolverine Annual Number 1 is set during Gwen's timeline earlier, pre-Spider-Women status quo. And a little bit of exciting news, Laura from the at Laura Lesbian Twitter account will be joining us as the podcast's first ever guest. Yeah, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, we can't wait to uh, discuss the whole Freaky Friday situation between Gwen and Laura. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely it's a Wolverine book, but it's uh, it's going to be the only non Spider Gwen title that we're probably going to do in our in our initial read through Gwen's comics. But because it's got so much Spider Gwen in it, so it's uh, yeah, it's a really solid issue. It's really good. 
We'll put links in the description of where to buy and read All New Wolverine Annual Number 1. We'll also put the reading list and the comicsology link. If you liked this episode or if you want to send us your thoughts on All New Wolverine Annual Number 1, you can email us at ghostspidergroupies at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter at gsgroupies or you can drop your comments in the Reddit thread if that's more your speed. For Ghost Spider Groupies, I've been Abigail. And I've been Kurt. We'll see you guys next week. Yeah, it's been great.